Welcome back to another fantastic episode of UAP Studies Podcast. My name is Jason Gilnett, joined by, of course, Dr. Michael Glosson of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. How's it going today, Michael? I'm doing fantastic, Jason. How are you? I'm really excited about this interview. Me too. Uh, I, we got uh, Luigi Venditelli. Uh, today. Did I pronounce that correct? Yeah, you did it. Yes, yeah. perfect. I have a, a knack for butchering last names, but uh, I've been looking forward to this project. Uh, uh, it just came to my attention not too long ago. And I was just mentioning to Luigi, I think he had one post on Instagram and I, I got out of my chair like, what the hell, what the hell? And I pushed in the video and uh, it was also that I told you so by, you know, oh, yeah. the Bob Lazar meme yeah. and yeah. Uh, just this whole momentum of, of Project Gravatar and we're going to get into it here, but uh, I send you all the info. Michael, you and I have been back and forth on, on Bob Lazar. I'm a huge mm-hmm supporter and uh, defender of Lazar on a lot of podcasts and other shows. And you're still new to the um, sort of UFO background. And yeah, there's I'm so only much about to four it, years right? in. So I'm only about four years in and Bob Lazar is one of these things that sort of sticks in my mind. And I have uh, lots of questions and. And you're currently uh, reading uh, Dreamland by Bob yeah, Lazar. I'm about, half, I'm about halfway through Dreamland. Gotcha. Um, and I have lots of notes. I actually bought the copy of Dreamland that I have because I was thumbing through it in a bookstore and instinctively took out a pen and started writing questions in the in the margin. And then I was like, oh, I have to buy this copy. Yeah. Oh, you're <laughs> kind of stuck now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I have, I have, I have lots of, of questions. And uh, but I want to be clear that I'm not here in this interview as a sort of antagonist. I'm uh, I'm open minded and questioning. And I know that that's awesome. going to make the most productive conversation that we can possibly have. But I will raise some of those questions. And I think that Luigi's uh, game for it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what UAP is all about, right, is uh, is studying this in depth. And this project, Luigi, uh, we're going to uh, give you the helm here and you're going to talk to us uh, through this project. But it's called Project Gravatar. And it's probably the most in-depth look into not only Bob Lazar's uh, work at S4, but right. you're actually, you're putting the people along with him uh, in a sense. And it'll make sense later on when, when you explain the project, but this project comes in three stages, which yeah. I thought was really cool. Uh, so we'll get onto that too. You got some slides. So if you are listening to this podcast, if you're on Spotify and YouTube, you'll see the slides. And I would encourage you to go see the slides, excuse me, uh, because he's got some great material here to show us. He's been working on this project uh, for a while. So we're going to give the helm to our boy, Luigi. Uh, welcome to UAP Studies. This is your first time. It's awesome yeah. to have you here, bro. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me. And it's yeah. it's it's a pleasure. So, yeah. Uh, like, like I said to Michael, I said, absolutely open to having these conversations. What we... One of the, the the one of the main uh, goals of Project Gravitor was to really uh, put things to tighten things up the information that's out there on Bob Lazar's experience at S four. So Project Gravitor really focuses on what happened to him between December of nineteen eighty eight all the way to about uh, the month of April May nineteen eighty nine. So there basically uh, is what. The main story is if anybody wants to, if anybody hears about Bob Lazar, it's always about what happened to him in this secret base. So there, the incredible amount of information out there, and that was incorrect. We decided to get really uh, uh, 
dedicated ourselves to making it as accurate as possible. Although there's like the book, like Dreamland, and there's a lot of information out there, the, the disinformation out there was like monolithic. We could see that there was just so much bad info. And it all started off with me wanting to contact uh, Bob to, it all started because we wanted to make a replica of the sport model. We wanted to make a professional replica of the flying saucer. Okay. Uh, I'm a, I'm a merchandiser by trade, been making merchandise and licensing stuff for people for 25 years. And I said, There's, I've never seen anything professionally done with a flying saucer that would be commercially sold. So there's people that have done beautiful flying saucer designs, but they're more artistic. They're more handmade stuff. We wanted to do a commercially, a commercial product. So I said, which of the flying saucers out there or who has the most information on an accurate, accurate information on a flying saucer, not only the outside of it, but the inside of it. And two names came up was Bob Lazar and Travis Walton, because Travis had been apparently inside one of them. Uh, but Bob Lazar was the one who actually dismantled one. So it clearly, you know, spent more time the, in, in the craft and right. Yeah. Claims so, to have claims to have spent right, more time. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. right. And so uh, I reached out to United Nuclear, uh, which is Bob's company, spoke to Zach, which is his right hand man, uh, introduced myself. This is going back two years ago, guys. And I said, I'm a merchandiser. I'm in Montreal. I, I make products for a whole bunch of license. I, I work with the uh, licenses. I also work with DNHL. I said, I'd love to make a professional flying saucer. And basically, Zach goes, I don't even know if Bob's going to be interested. I'll let you know if I if I call you back, maybe he's interested. Next day, call me, goes, I spoke with Bob. He's willing to talk to you. So it all started with him kind of giving, like interviewing me going, you know, who are you and how would you do this if you did this and what would you want to do? And I think my answers gave him the confidence that I knew what I was doing. And he says, sounds like you really know what you're doing. Come and see me and we'll, I'll, we'll go through the whole schematics of the craft. And that's how it started. And from two years ago to now, we went from making the craft to then making the hangar, making the equipment in the hangar, then making the uh, facility, the whole S4 facility. And then we, and this is, by the way, when I say making this, it started off with a very basic uh, program. And then we, we totally turned on full thrusters and we went into 3D and we uh, I hired a whole team, international team from multiple different countries, Finland, Sweden, Lithuania, uh, Japan, uh, England. Wow. There was designers here in Montreal. Montreal is one of the hubs for video games and all that. So I was we, born in Montreal. Yeah, yeah so, so you know that, right? So there's, there's Ubisoft this year and all that. So we have a tremendous amount of talent here. So we started investing a tremendous amount of money into recreating it in a 3D professional environment because Bob was willing, seeing what we were doing, he started getting interested in saying, well, this is an opportunity for me to make this as clear as possible for everybody. So it became this big project from a flying saucer, it turned into this project. And then as we were building it in Unreal Engine, 
I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's an Epic Game. You know, yeah. Epic Games has created Unreal Engine. At the time, we had Unreal Engine four. Now we're in Unreal Engine five point three. We've got MetaHumans. We've been working with like wow. we even got we even got a, a lot of beta tested. We're beta testing some tech. One of them was one that Steven Spielberg's in, involved in, so that it allows us to create more realistic characters in an Unreal environment. And we basically said. Let's not just do this for VR. Let's make the most realistic documentary. If Bob's interested, and when Bob, I said, would you be willing to be interviewed specifically about every part of S4? And he says, absolutely. He says, just for me to see what you guys have done. He goes, I feel more than confident to be yeah. speaking about it. And because uh, you're doing it, you're doing it justice to. His standards, yeah. The, the the number one thing I promised, and it was it was a it was really like a promise to Bob Lazar when I first met him. Uh, he's a super super humble, nice guy. I said, whatever I do, I'm whatever information you provide me or provide my team, I will promise you that whatever you tell me is what we're going to put out there. I said we're not going to take something and then twist it to make it something else. Like said, documentary films normally do or exactly, series, right? Yeah, exactly. So I said, what we are doing is basically, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and making sure everything about S4 is accurate. So it took a long time because as we were building it, we would Zoom call like this and we would run him through the environment. And the first, I remember the first time we brought him in S4, the very, very first time, as soon as he walked in, he said, stop, you got something wrong. And like, it was instant. Like, you know, he's like, that, that's completely not the, wrong, the right size. You made that too big. No, it was just not like that. So immediately it allowed us to start going, okay, so we refocus things. And then when we finally got it better, we walked him through the, past the hand scanner, past the card and get into the hallway. And once he was in the hallway, he said, holy shit, you, you did it. He goes, that's exactly what it looked like. And then I walked him into the lab and he says, oh, God, you fucked that up. He goes, it didn't look like that. Okay. <laughs> so we had to make a lot of corrections to the so, lab. Luigi, I, and I'm not, I don't know how, you know, these virtual worlds are made, especially with uh, Unreal Engine, but is a specific designer assign just like one specific room to work on or is it like everybody works on everything the way the way we we split the tasks uh was based on uh people's uh, people's spe um, specialties so i had uh like people who would actually design the craft which is different than the people who are doing the texturing there's people that are just in charge of lighting and, and that's all they do is they they'll come through and they'll do a pass through on lighting Right. There's other people that are uh, more uh, experienced in terrain because we actually what we did is not only did we create S4, but we have the entire Groom Lake and Papoose mountain range created in, in, in a VR experience in real size. So you can imagine if you're outside of the, the Papoose, the, the hill there near Papoose Lake where this was located, the, the dry lake. The Papoose Mountain Range, the whole area there is a completely like that is not something you'll find the 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 
the geodata easily online. So we had some uh, terrain experts do a tremendous amount of work wow. to uh, Russian satellite data. We went, we, we did, we spent months recreating. You didn't half-ass this at all. <laughs> Zero. No. This thing, no. if, if this thing, if this thing is so accurate that I'm pretty certain that, you know, whoever has been out there will know that we did we did the, the work to get it accurate at, to 100%. So it seems like the general nature of your project is to create like a sort of Bob Lazar canon of this is the official account of what the place was like, like a, a taken right. with Dreamland, the book, and your VR environment and this documentary. For anybody who has questions, this will be Bob Lazar's official Absolutely. Story. Yeah. Which is which is uh, a lot of times what I found to be frustrating online. If you're reading about Bob Lazar mm -hmm. and there's a lot out there. I mean, there is a lot of data out there is even the even the best uh, researchers in the field uh, would know a lot about the story, but then would not know certain particularities about the craft or about how the craft was sitting in the hangar or how it was how the configurations were. And we thought if we are to recreate for, for the world to see what a true reverse engineering program looked like in the late 1980s, how did they do that? How was that created? Why, why would have they done it this way? Why are these dimensions, why were these dimensions used or this configuration used? So we thought, although it's, uh, something that you could read about, you never really get the picture because nobody's ever gotten a picture. I mean, you, the only things we can look at is that is uh, you know declassified or or open source data on hangars, Air Force you know base hangars and stuff like that. So you get a lot of ideas what a hangar looks like or how the stealth fighter was being built back in the eighties. There's pictures now out there, but you don't really get. You know, like what's happening at Skunk Works? What's happening behind the scenes, you know, in the super secret environments? You don't get that. So this was not just a flying saucer uh, project, but also the military installation uh, process. How was it made? And as I was explaining earlier, just before we got on the call, uh, even Jim Goodall was one of our consultants at a certain point, because wherever Bob couldn't remember something. For instance, you know, Bob could say uh, the craft was here, the doors were here, and he, the most important parts he remembered. But then, if I asked him, or we asked him, where was the the, the beam? You know, like the, the the metal beam that was the support beam. Yeah, the support beams. How how you know how were they spaced? And he'll go, I I don't remember because I wasn't paying attention to that. You know what I mean? That's right. not. That was not where my attention was or where was the fire extinguisher in the hallway? Yeah, I would find it extremely unusual if a person claimed that they could remember that level yeah. of detail. I mean, I don't know where my own fire extinguisher exactly. is. Exactly. So so that's my point. So where all the we went into such hyper detail that Bob would always say, look, man, he goes, I don't remember those things. So I recommend you try to research how the military built them. And I'm pretty sure it'll be accurate to whatever must have been there. So whenever you'll see what we've done, there's, I would say, 60, 70 percent Bob. And then there's 30, 40 percent 
research of military stuff sure. and how we put it together. Yeah. If anybody nitpicks about where a fire extinguisher is located in a military facility, I think that's clearly okay. missing the well, point. Well, he must yeah. be full of shit because he doesn't remember where the fire extinguisher was. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows where the fire extinguishers are. Yeah, right. I know. Um, but you know what's fascinating is that you're taking us back to 1988, 89. Uh, and this is the, the facility they had at the time. You got to think we're 2023. Right. And I'm sure after Lazar came out, and, you know, I always say in his defense, there's two things that Lazar did that no critic has any uh, counter to what I say. One, we did not know about S4 Area 51 till Bob Lazar came out in 1989, right? None of us knew about it. It wasn't on our radar. Well, well some people did, but some people, yeah. most of the world did not. Right. Uh, the other thing is uh, he brought people out to the desert yeah. <laughs> often. At seven seven thirty on a Wednesday night in the middle right. of the desert because that's when right. they would fly the crafts. Right, that's amazing. So those two things sort of go okay. Well, nobody really has a counter uh, to that because it's true. One question that I had though: Did you guys work at all on when the craft is activated? Absolutely. Would, oh, really? Could you Absolutely. talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. Yeah. Of course. I mean, there there there's a difference between. I just want to make sure that we we distinguish the difference between the craft being activated and the craft operational outside flying because Bob never saw how the craft was able to be flown. Mm -hmm. He actually did see it in flight, but he ne in a low power test, but never understood how that was done. He was though inside the craft with his lab partner Barry. And there was another team inside the craft when he was given access to the interior of the craft one time. Uh, there was another team working in the front. We, I, we call it the front of the craft because we've determined we, we assume it is the front of the craft where they were working by one of the archways. And when he was in there, him and Barry were pretty much just to figure out how the configuration was where this uh, gravity reactor, well, let's call it a a gravity reactor, but it was what they considered to be the power of the craft, the uh, power source of the craft. They put the gravity reactor in the center of the craft, and there's this waveguide that comes and locks itself on top of the hemisphere of the uh, reactor. And basically, that's on. Now it's on. If the if the reactor is on and the waveguide is on, this thing is on. Now it makes no noise, though, right? It doesn't. It's not on like making it's not like you you hear something and it's on it's just it's it's something's happening and at the same time while he was in the craft and you'll actually see this in our film we we're, we're, we've developed a absolutely stunning vfx uh scene where we actually had bob on a green screen so it's actually him gonna be inside the craft and when when this actually happened in 80 and 89 uh he was leaning down it's pretty small by the way it's you can't stand into this thing unless you're standing right in the middle of it but he's leaning down with barry where the reactor was and whatever team was working by the archway must have done something that let the archway become clear so suddenly this this uh metallic let's call it a a, a, a i don't know if you want to call it like a metallic uh wall uh just became clear and that caught his attention 
Barry must have already known about this, but Bob had never seen this. So he stood up to, you know, kind of like, what the hell is that? Right. And there's, and about one third of the uh, archway became blue, like as if it was a screen that came up. And there were these uh, black uh, symbols that he, Bob referred to them. They looked like eyes. He says they were like oval shaped with these dots in the middle and they looked like a lot of eyes. Okay. And he said they were, they were kind of tilting like this, like these symbols were like moving in the screen. And it's funny because there's a, there's a moment where he said, I just started walking, just moving towards the, the, screw, the archway because I was so curious, but he was not allowed to do that. So Barry was just calling out to him going, Bob, Bob, yeah. you know, you're not, you can't do that. So he says, I remember getting really mesmerized with the fact that, you know, this thing just became transparent. So that is something that uh, he assumes the craft is on. I mean, if it's doing that, there's something's powering the craft. Uh, but other than that, there was not uh, ever something that would have given him the impression that the craft is ready to to levitate or anything like that. Right. So there's a lot of missing data there in terms of what he actually was physically able to see versus then physically seeing the craft outside lifting off for a, a little power test. And he says, I have no idea how they got that to happen. So I have a question. It's more, I don't know if you can answer this, but you've been working on this project for quite a bit. The crafts on the inside, it looks like it's 3D printed because the floor melts into the yeah. chair that melds into the table that Everything is, everything's yeah. melded into each other, like a mold. Yeah. Uh, right. Do you think that that's crucial for the crafts to be able to operate within that gravitational field, like it's, like not having any seams, any I, lines? I don't. I can't say that I would. I can't say myself that it makes that. That's why. Right. Uh, Bob says it must have some value that everything is the same material and everything is just has Melded, a yeah. furniture. Everything is one piece. So it looked like it was just one big piece. Like a hot tub, you know, right, the inside right. of a hot tub. Yeah, that's right. So it was injection right. molded or something exactly. like that. Like entire if, if was, room. Yeah. His, he, he, he said this many times publicly. He says it looked like it was made out of wax and then you heated it and then everything just rounded off itself. So there was no sharp corners anywhere. The only place where I can say there were sharp corners, because we built it, like I know the craft like to the millimeter. So the only place in the craft that we know for a fact had a angle, a 90 degree angle was there's an indentation in the ground on the, in the very center of the craft that is a square that is perfectly square. It doesn't have rounded. It's just a perfect square okay. and it's where the reactor sits. It just kind of sits in there. It's a, it's a slight indentation into the ground. And it just this square base sits right in there. That's it. There's right. everything else has got a radius of curvature. So even when we were building it, even in 3D, whatever you do in 3D, anybody who knows how to build things in, in uh, 3D, whether it's Blender or whether you're creating it in Unreal, uh, you don't build things like that. That's not how you usually build things. So it's it it becomes 
a challenge, regardless of your expertise in design in 3D, to create this 52-foot structure that is all kind of built together. So it it's a it that's was, interesting. It was yeah, that's interesting that you know with your technology, the the abilities that we have to do design that is still a challenge. Oh, it was a challenge to do it digitally. What oh, they absolutely. made physically, absolutely, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, part of that's why the software. That's part of that is is the way the software is made. Right, it's all sort of object oriented and it assumes ninety degree angles and things. So, did you have to piece together the craft out of actual boxes in the virtual environment and then sort of apply a, like a, a sort of Gaussian skin over it or something to it make was, everything well, smooth? I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say that there's a lot of technical things that I would not be able to to give you. My team would be experts sure. at telling you how they did that. But what I do remember is that, for instance, what we had to do is let's say we're built, we were making the seats. What or what we assume were are the seats. We had to make the seat independently. We couldn't make the seat out of the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, right. So we had to create it independently so that we would have the, the the shape and the curvature and the structure proper. And then once you have that, you have to blend it into the floor. But in in that to happen properly is not that easy. It's not that simple to oh, make I'm it sure. perfect. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, you know, mess around with the tech and they'll go, yeah, it's not that complicated. Right. If you don't have accurate precision measurements, it's easier. But if you have to make everything precise, mm. it's a little more difficult. I'm sure. I, I, yeah. can, I can tell you that. Yeah. So when you said that you were making like a consumer grade product, was your initial idea to make like a a physical model that I could buy and put together yeah, like a yeah. hobbyist? But no, it was going to be no. It's actually not going to be one to be put together. We were going to make one in diecast, which we're still take my money, take my money, still yeah. on our radar, absolutely. And so the the actual professional grade diecast model is not listed on our website, but I can confirm to you that once all these three products are out, we are going to be making the most accurate, most high quality representation of the sport model in diecast like you've ever seen. It'll it'll really be a beautiful piece. Wow. Well, definitely hit me up when you produce one. I'll support sure. the crap yeah. out of that. Promote it on UAP Studies podcast. Buy one. Uh, no, this in, in the project, I mean, obviously it's in three parts. You got the documentary coming out first. Now right. we're looking at a launch. You're thinking maybe about February, March of next year. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're really hoping uh, that that does stay within that because, you know, it, and I'll tell you right now, it has, it doesn't just have to do with us, with the film. It also has to do with distribution. So there's a part of putting it out on the market that is not in my, not in our control. So even though we know we'll have it ready, we're not sure if it'll actually hit the market in February. I'm aim we're all the whole team is aiming for February. It's like we're we're like zeroed in. It's like a target for us. But I always keep a little bit of loose in case you have I don't to, know, you know, know. whatever could yeah. happen. That could be maybe it'll be delayed to March or something. I, I don't know that, but I do know that we're hyper focused for February. Yeah. Nice. But no, early so, next year, it will launch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the documentary uh, comes out first. In the documentary, are you you said you're focusing on how he got the job 
yeah. at S four to begin with, right? And yeah. interestingly, uh, you were mentioning Jim Goodall. I just want—I just have a Jim Goodall story. I was talking with him not too long ago, and he mentioned he had met Bob in 1988 or something like that, right before Bob yeah. working at S four. And Bob told him that he absolutely thought people believed in aliens and spaceships Crazy. were ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I laughed when he said that because I'm like. His life changed like within months, right? Uh, yeah. Everything changed for him. So I thought that was cool. But so, yeah, talk a little bit more about the documentary. So we know more about uh, the the sure. VR experience, uh, which where is that going to be available, by the way, the VR experience? The VR experience uh, is going to be available. I, I, I foresee it's going to get uh, published on Steam. So okay. it be available on uh, to be experienced. We're calling it S4 The Experience. Okay. okay. VR Experience is going to be called S4 The Experience. And that is going to be available for people who uh, who don't have access to computers. They only have their phone. We'll have a, a mobile phone version of it. It'll be a lower quality, obviously. Then we'll have like your, your standard PC version. Then we'll have like your super computer version. And then you got the VR goggles where you could literally walk and you could walk for 10 kilometers if you really want to, because it's it's that big, you know, and it'll be super realistic. It's interactive completely. So you're going to be with Bob. Bob, you either have the choice to have Bob with you in the VR experience or not. And everything is interactable. So when you walk in, you put your hand on the hand scanner it lights up, your little badge comes out. You, you have to take that and swipe it in front of the the, car, the, the security uh, access panel. The door unlocks, you walk in. You can turn lights on and off. You could open doors, close doors. You could go into the lab and throw things around if you drop the element 150. Like a sandbox environment. Yeah, right? like it, you could do, it's completely interactable. So what's super cool about it is that it's not just something that you're walking through and you're just looking at. You can actually do stuff. So, and if you, and if I think we're going to, we're, we're not, I think we're going to be building in um, some features in there that are really cool. So if somebody does really know what they're talking about and they're in the lab, they can take the reactor, somebody, you know, you could take the element 115, don't put it in the reactor, just bring everything in the hangar. Then go into the craft, put the element 115, the cap, the hemisphere, put it in place, bring down the waveguide and like and activate the craft. Like if you know how to do that, you'll be able to do that, you know? So it'll be really interesting because it's kind of an educational piece as well, so that it'll make people truly appreciate and understand what that process was. A lot of times people don't get it. When Bob says there was this hemisphere, you have to put it on, you know, that they're they're not fully comprehending it until you can do it yourself and then you'll you'll see it there's there, we're going to have the candle experiment i don't know if you're familiar with the candle experiment no. happened in tell the us lab. about it yeah and there was a so you'll be able to see the candle experiment which was light uh, bending is that this no it, it's uh it's in the lab this happened in the lab there was the the emitter of the craft which is a big cylindrical uh it's like a 4 foot by two foot cylinder, which sits on the bottom portion of the craft uh, in, the, in the, the, the lower level of the craft. The cylinder was in the lab and it was on its side on a table to the left of the reactor. And on the ground, there was a, a, an amplifier that was cut out 
of the actual craft. We in the in Bob's experience, when he walked into the craft, one of the amplifiers had been removed before he had ever been there, uh, probably with a plasma cutter. So it was sitting on the floor of the lab. And when you activated the reactor in the lab and you twisted the emitter a little, I can't remember the, the degree, it, we have it in the, pro in the project. Well, it, it's, it creates a, um, there's some gravity field that is something's happening coming out of this emitter. And they had a candle set up that was right pointed right where the emitter was. And when they, when all this thing activated and Barry, the lab partner, it twisted the emitter, the candle flame froze in time. So Bob saw it and thought that's impossible. He said the photons were still there. You could still see the light from the candle, but it looked like a picture. He says it no longer looked like it was uh, like alive, you know, like, like moving, still, yeah, moving, whatever. So he says that really freaked me out because he goes, it looked like I was looking at a picture and that was impossible because how did that, how did that happen? How could it just stop it in time? Yet I'm still seeing the photo. I'm still seeing the light. So you'll be able to see that, uh, part of the, the interactive. So VR. there's like Easter eggs in there. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch of, Easter do you get eggs. a short round dude bald named Dennis that comes up your ass every once in a while and Dennis harasses you? Yeah, yeah. Dennis Mariani has been created. <laughs> created. There's this guy, Renee uh, is going to be there. Uh, there's the security guards. Obviously there's a few, there's quite a few security guards. Uh, there's the nurse, the only, the only woman he ever saw at S4 was the nurse. He never, right. ever, everybody else, he said everybody was male. He never saw any women because it's possible. He says there were, might've been, but he says, I never saw them. Right. Um, but 1988, what are the chances that you had a lot? It was rarer in those days to have specialists, yeah, rare, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, we've recreated all these characters, obviously as metahumans, let's just, you know, I mean, we, we, uh, don't have real actors playing them in there. Yeah, we had Dennis come in and do the voiceovers. Yeah, yeah. that'd be funny. Well, I mean, it, it, <laughs> there's things that Dennis Mariani did. If you read Dream Dreamland, or some pretty interesting stuff, you, how he was handling Element 115 and all that. So you'll see this in this uh, in this uh, not only the movie, but you'll also have it available to you in the interactive experience. In fact, in the interactive experience. If you walk where you're not supposed to walk, the security will come and give you shit for doing nice. that. Yeah. You so, should have it where if you walk a little further, it's like, uh, remember Goldeneye Bond? Whenever yeah. you would die, you would see all the blood come down the screen. That's well, what should happen to you. One of, the, yeah. one of the things that we were debating about, actually, because there's, there's going to be a, a limitation to the VR experience right. that uh, once you pass a certain threshold in the base, you will be notified that you are no longer in the Bob Lazar experience, meaning that we did build the whole nine hangers, yeah. but he never went there. So you could oh, go. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, you can actually go there. But as soon as you pass a certain threshold, well, Bob says, I didn't go there. So right. that's. No longer canon. You're outside yeah. of the Bob Lazar universe now. Exactly. Part of the canon. Yes, so as that, long as he knows yeah. where the fire extinguishers are in each building, right. then we're good to go. <laughs> right, uh, right. Luigi, you got some pictures to show us. I thought maybe we could go over some of them and you could 
to, uh, talk to us about what was sure. going on at the time. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, let me share my screen. Uh, let me go here. All right. You got to understand this is like Christmas, uh, you know, finding out what my Christmas presents are in advance for me, right? Yeah. This is huge. So like full screen, right? Okay. Yeah. So this actually, this just is, this is just a picture of uh, Bob, myself and Chris, uh, Christopher, who's my uh, right hand in the project. He's, he's like the magician here who does a lot of this stuff. Um, and this is when Bob came to Montreal, spent a whole week with us, literally, this was like the final touches of S4. Right. So once we got to a point, we, we obviously filmed with him here in Montreal, but this was an exceptional opportunity to sit with him and show him everything and him really making corrections. So you would have, um, let me see if I could go to the. And Luigi, is this a, a Canadian project? Cause I know it's under the, okay. we are not alone production. Yeah. So this it's a Canadian a, project, right? Absolutely. Fully yeah. Canadian project. Yeah. Yeah. Canada. Yeah. Right. So as you can see, you know, we brought Bob into Unreal and we, he was, you know, making comments, making small corrections, the color. One of the things that actually we did when he was here was the craft texture. We thought we had it perfect. And mm -hmm. once he was here and we were really like hyper analyzing it, we made a final correction to the craft texture because Bob was always on the, he always said it wasn't, wasn't a hundred percent sure if it was metal or a ceramic or some type of other type Hybrid, of material. Yeah. So, but, you know, trying to get the right um, grain on it, trying to get the, 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 the usage of it, by the way, because he said it was, it looked like a new craft, but you could see that there was a little bit of wear and tear on the on the on the actual craft so that was important to to uh to get because we really wanted to get that accurately um that's just a picture of bob here in montreal on a green screen and this was a technical marvel we were able to get hours of him on the green screen doing multiple different movements that wow. he had done because we're going to be taking all these uh, these uh, videos and then including Bob into the real environment, the unreal, sorry, the unreal environment. So it it's a beautiful mix of real Bob in the unreal environment that looks very real. So it, it'll be it'll be very uh, visually stunning to see. Looking this forward to that, man. That's going to be so cool. Uh, this is a cool picture as uh, this is Vanessa, one of our team members here, and she's filming Bob on the green screen. And if you look on the left side here, we had this television set up right behind the camera and you'll see that it's the craft in the hangar. You, I don't know if you could tell. Yeah. And what happens was Bob was on the green screen, but he was actually able to see where he was in the hangar. Mm -hmm. So if he was walking around, he would not at least bump into something. Right while we're filming on that so it's very very cool tech and very kind of cool. like uh the lord of the rings of ufology you know what i mean right yeah, that's kind of what you guys did yeah so that was that was really interesting uh that's when we went to uh oregon that's actually at bob's uh, personal lab us interviewing him there we have hours and hours of him talking about s4 here this is this is got a death ray in front of him yeah For those of you who can't see it <laughs> super cool that's great if anybody, if anybody's ever uh, seen this thing in operation, this thing is 
really cool. I mean, this thing. What is it? It's a. It creates a late. It's an invisible, soundless, and completely invisible death laser. It will burn through anything instantly. And when he activated the thing and made us see what it did, I was. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff. Like I've. I. You know. I, I was also in the army in my life. So I, I've seen a lot of stuff. This thing blew my mind because this thing just sits there. It doesn't make a sound. You hit this big giant button and it'll burn a hole into thick wood like that. And there's no beam. There's no sound. It just happens. He's so it, brilliant. Like he, yeah, he can build really, anything, this guy. Really yeah, cool. Nuts. Yeah. You know, anybody who says Bob Lazar is not a scientist, I will argue that to the last day of my life. I'm telling you, this guy knows how to make really, and and I, I genuinely believe that he is in fact a scientist, maybe not mainstream scientist, maybe not one of the, you know, the, the typical scientists that you'll see in academia, but this man is brilliant and is, tr is a true, uh, is a true uh, scientist. Yeah, I think some of the people who make the claim that he's not a scientist are trying to distinguish between researchers and right. people who are engineers. Like engineers it's generally different. aren't considered scientists correct. in academia because they're not doing research. They're um, not doing and, research. That's correct. Well, yeah, this yeah. is yeah, okay. and this is why they hired him at S4 it, anyways, because the kid was they was what, 29, 28? He's 29 years old. And yeah. I mean thinking he, outside the box all the time, a, right? So always thinks outside the box that's Bob that's that's his that's his ammo so this here is is a very good friend Mario Santa Cruz who is by the way become friends with me I think this is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life nice. Mario by I mean he was there right when all this happened uh and Mario was actually uh witness to a couple of things uh that were happening to Bob after they kicked him out of the project so it, you know, Mario is a very, um, he's like a big, giant, scary looking teddy bear. You know, <laughs> he says it all the time. He says, if people don't believe Bob, he says, they were not there. I yeah. was there. He goes, yeah. this happened. This stuff happened to this man. So, you know, uh, we were really happy to include Mario. Love the guy. It was, he was a great addition to, to the movie. There's a beautiful shot of Bob and his wife at their home today you know this is their life she she's an amazing woman she's got horses and takes care of a bunch of animals on on their land they, they have this beautiful greenhouse they're they 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 live in oregon it's paradise i'm telling you it's it's yeah. absolutely beautiful simple people they live in oregon i didn't know that that's pretty close to me actually yeah 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 they're very and we we just we just really have like a, we had a we had great chemistry we had I think part of the reason why this project is doing so well is I think the whole, my whole team and Bob and his wife and his entourage, everybody just loves each other. Everybody just got along. Yeah. And, and what was really interesting is <coughs> before we even like, before we ever even went to see Bob as a team, um, I had part of some people on my team that were not a hundred percent convinced about Bob. Some of them were skeptics, you know, some of them going, oh, you know, I'm not too sure. And it was unanimous after spending a couple of weeks with Bob. Everybody literally said, we all believe him. Like this man is 100 percent for real. Like you 
you have, and this is something that is hard to swallow for somebody who doesn't have, who is a little bit of a skeptic because I get it. You don't have the, you don't have the opportunity all the time, but if you spend enough time with the man and you spend enough time, not just talking about flying saucers. I mean, there's this, Bob is, it knows uh, way more about anything else than he knows about flying saucers. If you spend time with him and get to know him, there is absolutely nothing about this man that will raise a flag. There's and no I, ego to him, as far as I can oh tell. Oh God, no! Oh no, God, he's very no. humble and 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 actually, I'll even add something really important, which I I started realizing that I have to say this because I see some comments online. People are like, "Oh, you know, he is trying to profit." You know that from the very beginning. Bob said, I don't want anything. I, he never, he, he's, he's offered his time. He's opened his home to me. He's opened his home to my team. We've done tons of work, brought him here, spent tons of time with him. And he says, I'm, he says, I'm just glad we're making this accurate. He says, I'm just very happy. This is becoming as serious as it is. And it's showing the true story of what I saw, the true realistic stuff of what I saw. He's not looking to profit from this. It's not, it's not in any way. I could feel that from him. Everybody felt that from him. So, you know, that's a big thing when you think about somebody of his stature, like public, a lot of people know about him. I mean, obviously, after 35 years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge the guy if he wants to make a little bit of money. But that was not ever yeah. something that was an issue with us. So that's a really I, important I, point. I will say that uh, since since you're offering that observation sort of as a um, a reason to believe or take him uh, at his at his word, I will point out that you do have financial entanglements with him. You're you have your own particular interests at stake here too. So oh, I wouldn't expect you to um, no to shit yeah. on him if if there were points at which you thought uh, maybe he will, I, I will tell you I will tell you yeah no and I, I appreciate that and that's a, that's a very good statement I will say something and I don't and I don't I'm usually not one who who holds back because it really uh that's my personal character I will say that I wouldn't I would not just praise the man just because I'm invested in a project and simply one of the reasons why I say this and I mean this is I said even if, and this is where this is where I go to the outer edge of, of the whole story. I say, if this was not real, okay, if all this was not real, first of all, wow, if it was not real, uh, I, I said my team and I all sat down and said, well, regardless, it's a pretty inspirational story. And if we do this really well, it's just super cool anyway. So no doubt. Yeah, you know absolutely. I, mean? I think I think what yeah. you're doing is absolutely worth doing, regardless of what the actual truth is. And I'm right. constantly holding two different theories of in course. my head whenever absolutely. I think about Bob Lazar. Yeah. One one theory is that he's telling the truth and all and the world is a is a bizarre and amazing place. Um and the other theory is that uh if if he's not telling the truth, then he's an extremely convincing liar. Oof. And I mean, if yeah. that's the case, you are saying the things that I would expect a person to say, that he he seems genuine and convincing and everybody around him who was a skeptic came in and were not convinced 
so much by facts, but by actually experiencing the person. And that comports with both theories. So either one could be true, but in either case, what you're doing is valuable and interesting and certainly is historic in the world of UAP studies. So uh, nobody can come along and say that what you're doing needs to isn't valuable because of whatever theory they have about Bob. Right. Lazar. Right. And, 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 I, and I'll tell you another thing, and this is just to really go and, uh, and there's something that happened one time. I don't even think Bob, I, I don't know if I ever told Bob, but something happened one time when he was giving us, actually, sorry, he was giving me measurements. Okay. We were doing, uh, at the very beginning, it was a very long and tedious job of measurements. Okay. So it gets boring after a while, you know, because if you're, measuring things it's very technical there's a lot of engineering going around so there was something about the entrance to the craft like how you walk into this craft and uh he had given us some measurements he had explained uh, part of the design of this entryway it was tapered up at the very beginning at the very top end of it you had to bend down and crawl into the craft and uh, there's the American, reversed American flag to the left side of the entrance that is right there. There was something that he did when we were at his home, when I was at his home the very first time that really caught my attention where I just knew this guy was not bullshitting. He knew something about that entrance. And uh, it was the way we measured it and the way we were putting it all together. And I couldn't figure something and we could, I couldn't get the proper data. Right. And I said, but I, I said, I said, isn't it too narrow? And he was like, I can't remember. And then he says, hold on a minute. So he turns around and he opens up his patio door. I'll never forget. He opens up his patio door. He stands in the doorway and closes the patio door on himself. And he's like, all right, he goes here, measure this. He goes, cause now I feel exactly how tight it was. And so, you know, the way he did that, you had to be there. I mean, it might not, it might not please a lot of people. They'll say, come on, he could be bullshitting. It didn't, it looked genuine from him. Like he said, I wanted to give me a perfect feel of how narrow that thing was. And he says, it's my body. I didn't gain that much weight since I was that young. And so he goes, if you, Measure and he goes, Come here, Luigi, just take a tape measure and measure now, you know. And it was just so interesting. And I said, Wow, it, it, it is narrow. He says, I told you it's it's tiny, it's not made for us, you know. It's yeah. it's it's well, the craft was designed for smaller entities. He said, oh, like sure. the size of a seven-year-old or something. Oh, right? it, like, it's yeah, a tiny little, yeah. For sure, it's for tiny beings. It's not for yeah. So so my yeah. skeptics take on that is that. It strikes me, those are the details that strike me as more convincing because memory is sensory in nature. Uh, people who are fabricating tend not to be very good at fabricating memories that have a sort of sensory richness to them and a kind of embodied, uh, you know, feel and, and, and veracity right. to them. So it, the skeptics who say, well, that's just bullshit. You can just pull a door. Um there's something there to me that feels more substantial than just, oh, it's kind of convincing. It's, it's convincing for a reason because it actually has Absolutely. a feel of a memory. Maybe. Yeah. I, I could, I mean, I, I'm serious when I say, you know, I, I, I kind of remember that moment. It was, a, it was something that actually 
caught my attention. I don't think even Bob realized it, but I, I remember going, you can't, you can't bullshit that. You just can't bullshit that. It, it was just too perfect that, and it was so genuine the way he did it, that he wanted to absolutely explain to me, you know, cause I was really, because what, what that would have done, the reason why I was so, so particular about it was about the interior of the craft where there's these archways and it was, it was bugging me. Something on the inside was bugging me on how one of the archways ended on the floor with the entrance there. So when, when we did that and when we measured it like that, it was perfect with the architectural design that we had. So, you know, it, it, even if he was bullshitting, it was a perfect. He lucks out too it, much. Yeah. Too much. Like yeah. Perfect in yeah. order to fit so well. And those are things that I kind of you know picked up and said, this guy is so for real. I mean, it and I mean that's just one of them. I could go on and on about a whole bunch of other things that that we that happened during the last two years, but that was one that I really considered to be genuine when we were going through the schematics of the craft. I'm gonna show you uh okay. This image here of the uh and this by the way is that i would say my god like maybe 80 percent realism it's not even at full realism it's it actually maybe even less because i we did these just for for the show uh this is this little room where there was the hand scanner uh the famous hand bone scanner it was set up outside on this little wooden table like this there's a plug on the other side you can't see it here you'll be able to see it in the in the VR experience. Uh, and you just put your hand up on this, the machine lights up, there's a little card that pops out. You use the card to swipe on, you swipe your card into the card reader and it unlocks one of these doors. And then you end up, uh, this is just the uh, a close up of the machine. Wow, look at that detail. So for the viewers or the listeners, uh, let me show an up close look at this uh, panel. I mean, you could see scratches dents on the right. surface of the metal the writing uh you know it's made in new york uh yeah is that dentimat right. 2000 like you could see yeah such rich detail in just an up close shot and, this was and actually yeah this machine was actually created by uh stellar systems back then and it was uh it was put out i think in the I don't remember. I have it. We have it written down in our papers, but this was something that was considered to be one of the best security, you know, machines back at the time, which apparently were not even that great, but they were considered to be pretty good at the time. Um, and but Luigi, didn't didn't they a bunch of people say that Lazar was lying that this thing didn't exist? Well, first off, uh, there's something that I I, I will say. It, a lot of people said, but Lazar was lying. This thing didn't exist. And then there's this uh, scene in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I, know, I don't know if you guys know about it, but in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you actually see this machine. Oh, really? Yeah, it's in the movie Close Encounters. Did not Encounters. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can actually Google that after the, the this interview. One of the things that I will say, because there's a ton of people out there that are saying, oh, you know, Lazar lied about that. It's in the movie Close Encounters. You should go see it. Well, I'm I'm 
I'm from, I'm from the seventies. This was born in the seventies. And I remember the eighties very well. And I remember life without the internet. I remember life without information available to me. I remember those days very well. Okay. I remember not knowing something until I freaking found it to a library. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because you just didn't get information that way. So one of the things that strikes me is when I see this new generation, you know, go, oh, look, it was in the movie Close Encounters. He knew that this machine was reading the density of bones. And no, no, he didn't. That that everybody who saw that machine in Close Encounters, all they saw was a light pulled like lit up, light up a hand. Nothing in the movie Close Encounters indicated that this was a bone, a bone scanner, a hand bone scanner. Nothing indicated that this was specifically used at Area 51. Not none of that. So it was it always makes me laugh when people say, oh, he's, it was on Close Encounters. That's why Bob said that. Well, then where did he get the information that it was a hand bone scanner? Because I would, if I if I don't know, I would think it's reading my digital print, it's reading my fingerprints or whatever. I don't know. I I wouldn't immediately go and think it's reading the density of my bones. Yeah, that but, doesn't strike me as a particularly strong argument against Bob Lazar's claims because right. we know that Spielberg did a ton of like real deal research for Close Encounters. That's right. And you might expect that if the two people were telling the truth that there would be confluence about, about sort of machinery and technology that they encounter and things. So that strikes me as kind of a, just a, a weak argument, even though I think absolutely. there are, there are stronger arguments, but that one just seems. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Yeah. So this, this we, we recreated the machine, uh, obviously in, in the 3d environment, it's going to, it's fully functional. And when you'll see it in the movie, obviously in the movie, it's just a visual, but when you do it, when you experience it in the VR, You'll really enjoy it because you really have to put your hand there. It's gonna, it's gonna do, it's gonna pull out your card. So it's it's better than a rectal scanner, right? Uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. Nobody that's wants a, to use that one. That's uh, <laughs> well, let's not let's not yuck anybody's young. Here. It's I it's mean, how you get definite uh, identity. <laughs> absolutely, everybody's rectum is like a snowflake. Yeah, well, uh, at this so, point, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a I'm a purist about my virtual environments, and uh, for the purists out there. Bob Lazar's book opens with him doing paperwork. Can That's I right. do real paperwork in your environment? Can I sit for uh, two yeah, hours? Actually, and no. Yeah. Actually, it's funny that you say that. You're not going to be able to do to fill up the uh, 1010 forms and all that, but you will be able to read through some of the briefing documents. No that, way. There's actual yeah. documents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll actually be reading through some briefing That's awesome. documents. There's yeah, so, so many Lazar Easter eggs in there. Yeah, so there's, yeah. There's, yeah, exactly. So that that's definitely going to be there for sure. So this this is the um, hallway of S4. This is kind of like when you open the door, that's kind of what you'll see. It's it's this uh, kind of a, a older, gloomy uh, feel to it. Very quiet, very. And Luigi, just just for clarification, is this underground or is this a building that's it, it, it's not underground? It, it's inside a mountain it's inside a hill so okay. it, it like technically it's not underground because you don't not have below to, yeah whatever it's yeah, not, it's not below, below the surface there. yeah it's just in the mountain so it's, it's hidden in a mountain okay yeah it's hidden in a mountain yeah okay and it's, it's quite, quite the endeavor though eh? 
It's quite a big facility because you have to consider there's nine hangars. So the nine hangars are, that's a long, you know, structure. Stretch, yeah. And so the, the hallway, which Bob calls the infinity hallway, he says, you couldn't see the end of it. He says, consider that Bob never went beyond the cafeteria, which was the, the furthest he ever went to the right, the, the, to the doors to the right. So he says, I was never able to go beyond. So in, in the VR, you'll also have the same problem where not the problem, but you'll have the same um, notification where you're now leaving the perimeter of Bob's experience and you could go roam around. But that doesn't mean that that's how it was. You know what I mean? What so, do you do, what do you build those environments for? For the places where it's like, I know there was something there, but I didn't get to go to it. How do well, you fill that out and make it something that can be the, explorable? But, yeah, the only thing that's going to be exploitable is going to be to the left side. The, the doors to the left are the ones that lead to the hangers. So there's doors to each hangar. So mm -hmm. those are exploitable. And the ones that are going to be to the right, you won't be able. They're, they're just like. But there's locked. They're just locked yeah because it's completely impossible to know what was there so we're nice. not gonna we're not gonna invent you know what i mean so yeah you should just have a random door that when you walk in you see eisenhower with a gray signing some sort of contract <laughs> just for everybody who thinks that actually happened <laughs> that is so cool uh what are the yeah. red boxes that we're seeing there next to the the doors those are, those are the those are the fire extinguishers so each door had one okay yeah yeah those are the fire extinguishers there was actually a few of them there's the uh, the fire alarm that was occasionally on at certain distances. The lights are accurate. Uh, the lighting itself is going to be very accurate. The bowling green uh, cinder block, the bottom side are, are, are cinder blocks, bowling green painted cinder blocks. And the top of the wall is just a drywall. And it was not white. It was just a, a very light, super light green. You could barely see the green in it, but it was a light, light shade of green. Okay. The doors were wooden doors with uh, metal uh, handles on them. Uh, very basic. Each each uh, door to the left where there's the propulsion lab and then all the hangers have that little security panel that you have to swipe your card. That's crazy. The level then, of detail that you guys have gone through Oh yeah, it's, is it's, insane. Oh, yeah. This, this is the nurse station uh, that we built. So th this is accessed through one of the hallways is this, this the like a, an actual picture of the virtual game yeah right yeah this is this wow. is the environment yeah wow. and, and this is not even at full quality believe it or not this is this is even like i'm so so with it so it's it's not bad but it gets even better than this and this is where uh bob was asked to uh go and do some allergy tests they they basically asked him to uh to roll up his arm he had to drink this little pine uh, liquid yellow liquid that smelled like pine and then they drew a, a grid on his arm and they the, the nurse put all sorts of different drops on it to see if there was going to be a reaction because apparently he was going to be in contact with foreign materials so this is basically what the nurse station looked like uh, at s4 uh, again everything was very very dull it was quiet uh it was there was never any sound, never, no music, no nothing. You couldn't, you would hear occasional pacing. It might be security walking, but there was no interactions. No, nobody was allowed to interact. It's been Only, so weird. Yeah, it was a very, he said it was a horrible environment to be in. So he said it was very stressful 
considering how exciting the work was, the opposite uh, was the actual real, the, the mood was very, was very, very dull. Yeah, it feels like a David Lynch movie. You're just sort of alienated constantly. Yeah, and, terrible. You know. Yeah. This so is, the, one, one thing that yeah. strikes me as, as really nice about these images is the lighting has this kind of like soft, you know, reality to it. Do you know how yeah. many rounds of like bouncing your photons are doing in your environment? Oh, my God. When you, when are you familiar with Unreal? Oh, yeah, a little bit. You know, like all of our stuff is is gets filtered through path tracing. Like we we do mm -hmm. path tracing that takes a while before it all you know, and then the rendering. It's a lot of rendering. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So the lighting took. I think the lighting is what took the longest in the project. To be honest, it, it's the lighting. It creates reality. I mean, lighting creates reality, right? So it, you could have the most realistic and. Uh, you know, assets, the most real, beautiful textures, beautiful colors. And if the lighting is wrong, it looks like crap. So yeah. we've spent a long time getting the lighting to really become as accurate as possible. And this goes that this applies for the interior lighting for nighttime, all the way to our UDS uh, lighting with actual the sun, the moon, the the, the real outdoor mm -hmm. lighting. So there's there is a tremendous amount of uh of, like i'm talking months of work to get yes, this yeah yeah i mean it's 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 evident even at like 80 percent, this is a better sort of luminous environment than we had three years ago in like right. a pixar movie or something right. so good right. job thank you yeah that's my my team i it's it's my team you gotta say good job oh. to the team they're they freaking rock yeah they, they did a it, fantastic guys. job this is inside the lab uh, on one of the benches. You have uh, to th this black box to the right over there. It's a it's a handheld X-ray machine. Here, right center is the reactor itself. This is the 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 reactor that Bob and Barry were asked to be worked up to work on throughout the whole time he was there. This is the hemisphere. You could see the element one fifteen on the table, closer to the to the to the left side. Uh, that's sitting on the table. There's a cap that goes on top of the react reaction tower. This is what it looked like. This is the material it looked like. We've recreated, we actually recreated it. And we also have a real model that we actually made for real that we have here at Motipo. Yeah, we, we actually built a real reactor. This has got to be in your, uh, in your model, your die cast model. Oh, Make that's a little. Oh, that's absolutely. so cool, man. That's so oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly going to be there. And it, it this, this is, I guess, uh, it's more intricate. You'll see it in our project. In the documentary film, we we go through it. So we, you know how you have sometimes a car, they splice the car in half and you see all the interior. We actually did that with the reactor so you could see everything oh, cool. on the inside. You know, so how it how it operates, how it fun or how they thought it operated and functioned. And still to this day, Bob still to this day says these are only assumptions. He says, this is what we assume was happening, but we were not sure was happening. So, you know. It's almost yeah, like magic to us. The technology yeah. is like magic to us. We just well, can't make... that, Yeah, it's uh, that Arthur C. Clarke uh, quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from, from magic. From magic, from magic so, yeah. So in this in this image, this chip of sort of like uh, clayish, slightly red-brown triangular yes, thing, yeah, the idea is, is that 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 is a solid piece of machined 115 
where right. it's a sort of ceramic that has 115. You, you take it right. and insert it into the yeah. reactor, and That's this right. begins some some sort of, of uh, well, you have to nuclear reaction. You have to insert it inside the the tower, and then place the cap on top of the tower, and then you take the hemisphere, and as soon as the hemisphere is fully like the hemisphere has to touch the whole circular bottom portion of the hemisphere has to touch the base in order for it to be on the, as the, the moment it has just a slight uh lift it's it doesn't do what it's supposed to do so oh, wow. now as far as as far as um the way that the element 115 has been manufactured this was covered in the previous documentary that was done by bob lazar he explained that uh, it'll obviously be re-explained in hours. That's something that he says, I don't know how they come, came to find out, but they obviously knew that that's how it was supposed to be done. And that's how they figured out that this had to be machined or cut in that specific manner in order for it to, to do that. Your description of how the reactor works reminds me of the sort of early configurations of nuclear weapon jetties too hemispheres of radioactive material and you and they had to have perfectly perfect. flat yeah. faces and you had to clap them together and it's like perfect way to get uh you know the the right density uh of of, of nuclear uh material in order for it to, to you know generate a, a reaction and so it seems like there's kind of a similar principle at work in the way that bob imagines these things working I mean, look, it, it, whatever, you know, Bob is, in, was always, is always fascinated. Every time we would talk about this, he would always say, he goes, it always baffled them, regardless of them doing all these tests on this thing. He says, all we could do is run tests or figure out what if we moved it this way? What if we put it side, you know, everything was just, he said, we wrote notes all day long just to see, does it do anything if we turn it at this degree, you know? will it explode you know like will something happen we don't know he says and when i one of the things that's really interesting is when i would always refer to it as a gravity reactor at a certain point bob when he was here in montreal said i don't even know if it is gravity he says maybe we're we're this is just another force he goes we just don't know what this thing was producing all we know is that it, it looked and felt like it felt like gravity to us so he says it felt like it was creating a gravity field of, or an anti-gravity, if you want to call it. Uh, but he says maybe it's another force that we're not familiar with, that we are yeah. now perceiving as gravity. He says it's it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. The we I mean, we don't know what gravity is. I mean, I'm not just saying that it's like right. a, a lay person. The standard model of physics doesn't provide a very neat account uh, of what gravity is. Right. Gravity is indistinguishable from acceleration on Einstein's models. So uh, gravity is a, is, a, is a gigantic mystery, how it works at various scales and things. And so part of my, if you don't mind me kind of talking out of my skeptic side of my brain sure. right now, is that uh, part of me says, well, Bob Lazar sounds like an engineer to me. And engineers and research scientists just do two different things. And there's not one is not better than the other for the people who are like, somebody's not a fucking scientist. That's as if that's a dig or something like right. engineers built the nuclear weapons and 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 they're not exactly research scientists. So part of me says, well, well, why did they hire a person who doesn't understand physics at the level of a research physicist to do this? Uh, that sounds weird to me. But then another part of me says that. Okay, there's um there's this phenomenon in uh in sort of management of of scientific organizations where you hire a person 
with a, a very particular niche level of understanding that's lower than what is actually required for doing the maximum amount of the job. For instance, at a nuclear power plant, you don't hire physicists to run them. And there's a, a really good reason for that, which is that in the event of a disaster, physicists tend to think that they can improvise some creative um, mm -hmm. solution to the problem. And that's not what you want. You want a person who will pull out a manual and who will do exactly what they are supposed to do, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the manual. Um, and I might be able to imagine an argument that goes something like this in favor of Bob Lazar's claims. He is not a research scientist. And it is strange that he would maybe be put in a position to do this sort of work. But if I had materials from a highly advanced different civilization that I wanted uh, reverse engineered, but I wanted to be able to control the knowledge that was in there, I would probably seek out a really skilled tinkerer who wasn't going to exploit the knowledge in ways that I couldn't you know, anticipate them oh, yeah. exploiting the knowledge, um, but who would be able to do a practical work of getting it to do things and, and experiment with it. And maybe that's the kind of line of defense for, um, not defense, but at least a line of explanation for how this story fits so. together and right. why he's the person for it or whatever. Well, I mean, it, if if for the people who, who uh, have been really following the story for years or read a lot about it, uh, Bob has been has always been very, very clear and very transparent to the fact that he says, I don't think I was the right person they should have hired for that job. He always said that. He says, I don't feel that I was the best person. They could have hired people with a lot more experience than I had. I was very young at the time. Uh, he's also uh, been very clear to the fact that he says, I would have preferred that they would have hired me for another part of this project there was he was hired for the propulsion side of the project which is project galileo i don't know if you're familiar with the three projects that he was that he mentioned out there he was uh in what what he called project galileo uh but there was two other projects project looking glass which looked at time distortion and there was project uh sidekick which was weapons applications and bob continues to this day to say they should have hired me on Project Sidekick. I would have been a lot more interested in the power of the weaponry of this more so than understanding the propulsion side of it. Right, so, but from from the pr sort of perspective that I'm trying to articulate here in my head, that's exactly why I, as a, as a manager, right. might not hire him for that because I don't want people who think this is neat and who are going to go beyond the, the yeah. job description of the research and tinkering that I might want them to do so I'm, I'm always trying to craft the most plausible version of either story in my head and, and maybe that's you're helping me get to a, a more plausible version of the the pro bob lazar story with this well, one with thing this work one you're doing. Thing's, but one thing's for sure michael is that they i have a feeling that they were completely utterly i my personal opinion okay so this has nothing to do with what what bob thinks or anything I think they must have got to a point where they literally were desperate for something. And I feel that there was pressure. I feel there must have been some type of time timeline they had to they had to to uh to to hit for something. They had to get yeah. something moving. And for some reason, 
my feeling is that they got to a point where they said, okay, look, there's this kid. He he seems like he's an out of the box thinker. Uh, it could be the wild card that we need. They might have never done that before. And this was like their last attempt to get somebody who's a little bit more quacky in, in, in doing crazier stuff in science. And possibly, I'm, this is my opinion, possibly that's what happened. Because when you're when you're desperate and you have to provide some type of result and you know that every step you've taken hasn't brought you anywhere further, you might go ahead and just fuck it. You know, let's try Throw it to the wall. See what yeah, sticks. Let's yeah. see what happens. Yeah. And, so Yeah. And it has the advantage of if it doesn't work, you can always discredit this person because they don't have all the sort of like it's really hard to discredit Robert Oppenheimer. You know, he's so deeply networked within the world of like physics knowledge and he's so respected and, and famous that you can try to throw him under the bus but it's it's a lifelong project but throwing somebody like bob lazar under the bus would be a, a triviality for right. the american government so maybe that's a good that's a good um line of yeah. line of reasoning in this you know what always fascinates me about this is that we know now because of david grosh that since 1933 uh the americans have been collecting these crafts uh, right. Even Bob mentioned one of them or two of them could be archaeological digs. This is fascinating because this is this is their old shit. This is their old technology. And we still can't figure or wrap our heads around it. I don't know where we're at right now, 2023, uh, if we made much headway since uh, 1988. But, you know, I, I keep thinking about Lazar, for good or bad, he changed things. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and he's he's a historical figure at this point. And I'm no pretty question. sure because of him, they had to move all those crafts out of there because he came out and talked about it. Like there's, I don't see them holding those crafts there anymore. Everybody knows everybody's always out there. So yeah. they must've moved them, but where do they move them to? And yeah. this is part of the, uh, you know, even what's happening right now, people coming out of the woodwork saying, no, I'm working on these projects. It validates Lazar that since 1989, the bugger has been telling us the truth that the U.S. government, and we know this because, you know, we're talking with James Fox. He talks about the Brazil. The states yeah. show up, grab the craft, grab the entities. In and Canada. Left. Yeah, yeah, right. Canada, they did the same thing. They went to Italy. Uh, yeah. Italy. Yeah. So, you know, when you hear, uh, you know, Tim Burchett saying it's disheartening because they're telling them flat out to Congress, you're not getting anything. Yeah. We're not telling you shit. Right. But this is taxpayers' money. Let's be clear. All these facilities, all this work, all the, the billions of dollars that go onto these projects are paid for by American tax-paying dollars. And they go missing every year. Nobody's held accountable for any of these projects. It's scary. One, one of the things that, this is my opinion on something, though, and I will say, I will say that um, it is very possible that a lot of that money comes from American taxpayer dollars. I, I don't doubt that there has to be some way that they funnel money to these programs. There's no doubt about that. But I also think that it's more complex than that. I think that there's possibly other uh, ways that they were able to uh, fund these type of projects, and they are completely unknown to us. We're, we're, we're also, we have to consider this is, if this, if all this is real, okay, we have, I mean, this, let's assume all this is real. Uh, this has been going on for like a long time. Obviously, they didn't stop doing this as soon as Bob Lazar left. They didn't. This, they just 
either, like you said, they either moved it or they continued somewhere else. Whatever, whatever happened, uh, this didn't stop. They didn't just close this up and said, okay, seal everything, blow up, you know, and make yeah. all the rock fall on it and never touch it. There's no way that that happens. So there's undoubtedly a huge operation behind something like this. I mean, this is not, yeah, at the time, Bob said there were 22 people working at S4 in, at, when he was there. Um, and so a lot of people might think, you know, a, a reverse engineering program, there might not be a lot of people involved, but it's kind of uh, silly to think that after decades of, of trying to do something that I'm convinced there's a heavy operation going on. And within that operation, possibly people don't even know that they're part of it because they're not necessarily, oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. That has to be the case. I mean, just yeah. from a, from a strategic right. organizational standpoint, you want right. to have as many blinders on within the organization as possible. Right. The CIA works that way all the time. They have exactly. bureaucratic departments set up specifically for the purpose of yeah. being able to silo knowledge. And that's the national security and the global security that's right. concerned in some cases. And then right. you can abuse that mechanism in other cases. But uh, I, I, I wanted to say that I agree with the with the point about being frustrated at the idea that we've been reverse engineering this this stuff for so long. We still don't know how. I mean, this is their old shit, as you put it, Jason, which is absolutely uh, plausible, right? Um, but that's not actually unique in the history of of world technologies. We still don't know how Greek fire was made. We still don't right. know how to make uh, Japanese sword steel. I mean, there there yeah, are a few yeah. steel masters in Japan who still know how to do it. But we we can look at it. We can analyze it under a scanning electron mac microscope or whatever. We, we don't see we its don't structure. Know how to do it. Yeah. But how to make it, we don't know. Right. And that's just Im impossible in the minds of some people who think that technology and science is just this like um, progressive, inevitable march of, of additive knowledge. But it's not. You can have these gaps that you never, ever fill in. And if there's technology that's coming from a civilization whose technological history evolved completely distinct from ours, I have very, I'm very skeptical that we would be able to successfully uh, peel it apart and make it we might be able to cobble together shit that they've left around and, and do neat things with it but being able to actually reproduce it would be a whole whole different thing lifetime of work yeah 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 there's no doubt i mean there's no doubt it, we're talking it's it and like bob you know bob says it said it to us many times he says i still think they don't know how to how to how this stuff works they might have figured out some stuff you know but it doesn't mean you know you know it's like finding a cell phone in in the in a, in the you ancient know, Greece or something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you find a cell phone, you eventually figure out that if you hold this button down long enough, it turns on the phone. You know, like, and then you you go, oh look, oh my God, there's a light in it. You know, there's like, it, it doesn't mean you know how to make it. You figured out how to turn it on. You yeah. you found a way to do that. So you know, there's a lot. And if if it was something like find a cell phone, you know, three thousand years ago. You're, you're literally have to wait 3000 years before you make the cell phone. So you're yeah. we're still far away from, from anything. But in my, is, isn't my it cool opinion. that a technology, like if you think about it, great analogy, Luigi, that if you had a cell phone uh, 3000 years ago, if I'm a caveman or, you know, prehistoric man, this is a flat rock. That's right. right. That's my understanding of this. It's a flat rock until I turn it on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 
You're like, whoa, God's it's in it. It's technology. Yeah. What is it? How does it God's... work? Right? right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm like, the leader oh, now. I have yeah, the magic yeah. rock. But yeah. This is like that's... that movie, uh, The Gods Must Be Angry. Is that the yeah. name of it? Yeah. The, 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 the Coke bottle. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Coke bottle. Yes, yes. But my, my only thing is, is I think this is cool. I think this is, you know, uh, knowing you know it's even seeing what it was like in 1988 and how far the government had gotten since 1933 with these projects how much money they invested in these projects yeah, how crazy. secretive these projects were uh and 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 something that we don't talk about a lot which because it it's kind of a uh a, a very gloomy way of looking at things but and and conspiratorial but who knows how many people have died because of this. I mean, we don't know. We we right. don't know. It, it's it's like it's not like we have that information. So you know, what if? Well, there's there's lists of names already out there, Luigi, of people that were researchers that mysteriously died or committed suicide. We don't know. Like, yeah, it, it could be. You know, it could there could be a danger. There could be people that have been threatened and actually then got killed. We don't know. I mean, it it could have yeah. passed right under our nose and it could have looked like it was just something related to something else. We have no idea. It's, you know, this is, I, 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 in my personal, uh, experience in life, uh, I I'm from, I'm an Italian from Italian family, Italian background, my parents born and raised in Italy, my grandparents. I mean, I, I spent years in Italy when I was younger. Uh, one of the things that I did ex experience in my life when I was younger was, and my father, by the way, straightest arrow you like one of the most honest people you'll ever meet in your life you would have ever met in your life but because he was a very known business person got to meet with a lot got to become very close with some of the most uh dangerous people in the italian community so mm -hmm. the mob if you want to call it and i remember being very young having these people come over we, they would come over for dinner or whatever and i grew up with these people and I remember one time when I was talking to people about the secrets of the government regarding UFOs, and uh, they were saying, you know, we're going to try to get to the bottom of this. And I said, you know, you can't even get to the bottom of the mob. You think you're going to get to the bottom of this? You know, like if you get if you really look into how how extremely silent the Italian community could be regarding the mob, if that is something I could consider to be one of the scariest things as I've seen it. This is a million times bigger. So are we really getting the real story? Is there really like everything? No, we're not. It's just not. I don't yeah. believe it. this is my I think I would be really surprised if there's anybody who knows the whole story. I think probably sure. the knowledge exactly. is That's all right. sort of piecemeal. I mean in in like um in science and technology there's there used to be this um, saying that nobody knows how to make a pencil, which is kind, of, which is is true. That true. Yeah. people know how to make the different components of the different machines, but like it's all the knowledge is scattered completely right. across yeah. a bunch of different industries. It would have to be the same thing uh, in this case. Well, you know, I'm showing you an image. I'm going to actually show you another image, and, and I'm going to go right into what you were saying. And this is like here we are in a piece of the a portion of the hangar. The door is open. You can see the craft in there. Uh, at the time, the craft was exposed. If you if you look at these images, this is what I mean. This is basically what Bob Lazar saw. Okay, uh, and I thought, and I think back, and I've given this a lot of thought while I was 
doing the project. And I think, do you remember the movie E.T.? Oh, yeah. Do you remember when uh, the government showed up at Elliot's house and they covered the house with all this white tarp and there was these like little passageways? Runways. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Remember all that? You know, like it looked like everything was quarantined and it was yeah, like an Ebola tent or something right? yeah. in Africa. Yeah. I mean, like COVID-19 hit yeah. again. So yeah. Imagine if you're the if you're this group of people who want a new scientist to go see a piece of the craft. Why do you have to show them the whole craft? Why don't we quarantine the craft? We fill up, we put the tarp on the craft and create just a specific route within this quarantined tarp environment to get to one piece. The person could be standing inside the craft and not know they're in the craft. So we have to also think outside the box as people who are researching something like this, thinking, I mean, they must have learned their lesson. If if what Bob Lazar saw and happened that really happened, they must have thought we got to stop showing people everything. And there could be a possibility of like quarantining environments or quarantining an area. Why does it have to be so exposed, open to everybody? So there's so much. There's so many layers to something like this. That you know, you could get a brilliant student from MIT who who immigrated from China, who's got nothing but like top top uh, grades throughout their entire education, the best possible scientific mind you can find at MIT. And, and, and we have to be realistic; a lot of them are coming in from Asia. If you want to get one of those in the craft, if you want to get a person like that in the craft, but you don't want to jeopardize national security you don't want to show too much why would you show anything except for something that's very contained all the way to a very small piece of something or maybe this person is looking at an amplifier and it's just a rectangular box and they have no idea what they're looking at they're they're just seeing a metallic box they don't know this is inside a craft they have no idea what right. this we don't we have this we have this preconceived notion that everything is still like Bob saw, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It this really... might be bad news for you, though. So if I follow that train of thought, the next thing my brain says is, okay, then why don't we, if we do have certain capabilities to manufacture some of these things like a seamless physical environment on the inside of the craft, why don't we just make a bunch of them and only make uh, and make them inaccurate? in lots of different ways. And then we'll have the guy who's working on the, the drive in the middle, we'll make that an accurate thing that he can tinker around with, but everything else will be sort of bullshit. We'll make the bullshit. chairs too small so that they don't look like a human could be in there. And so on that line of thought, it kind of throws into question a lot of what Bob Lazar saw was that, uh, not the question of whether he actually saw it, which is a real question, yeah, but even if we grant that he did. Good, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if Penn and Teller, but were I think, things, I think, it would be a and, and Michael, I, I do agree with you, but I think that'd be too much of a costly endeavor to yeah. start doing, you know, that sort of stuff. I think it, it's more cost effective for them to just make sure the guy's legit, yeah. passes yeah. clearance, uh, you know, clearance security, and then just go at go at it. Right. Um, my my final question is: We're going to let you go soon here, Luigi. You've you've given us so much of your time already, but I always ask this to either an abductee or somebody who's been inside the craft but does bob remember the smell inside the craft 
Yeah, he. I, I asked him. He did says, you? Yeah, I did. Smell I is the one detail I cannot get from anybody. They'll tell me exactly. visual, uh, the way they felt when they were touched, but they can never describe to me the smell. Except Whitley Strieber. Except Whitley Strieber, yeah. Uh, it, Bob had no, uh, he says there's no apparent, there was no smell of any type that would be something that would be worth noting. Okay. It just basically had standard stale, standard, yeah. you know, the, whatever, whatever the hanger smelled of, you know, whatever it was, it was nothing. He, he said it was, it was small. It was, uh, it, although it's a 52 foot craft, it's still very small, meaning you have to crouch down and crawl in there. You can eventually stand up when you're in the middle. Uh, I did it in VR and it's true. It's, it's small. It, it actually is small. If you don't want to touch the, the, the ceiling or whatever, you got to crouch down. Uh, he says it was hot a little bit because of the desert. So you have right. to consider the temperature in the base itself was not always very cold. So it was, it was kind of warm in, in general. Uh, at night, it would get cooler. Obviously, it's the desert. So it's, it's a different experience at night. He says, but sometimes it was a little hot, but that, that's it. He says nothing related to the craft. I think it's just the temperature, the ambient environment. Yeah. But no, no, no smells, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and there'd be no wind in there sense. anyways, right? Yeah. It's such an arid environment. All of those flavonoids and olfactory molecules are going to be so desiccated and dry and dispersed. That's right. That's yeah. Um, smells aren't going to last very long, even if Not you have a bunch yeah. of yeah. or something in the room. Yeah. We actually had that conversation a couple of times and he says, no, there's just no, nothing, nothing uh, that that uh, I did. But I did. I will say something about other people I've ever. I, I mean, I, I did uh, have an opportunity in my life to uh, uh, investigate a lot of this stuff. Uh, the only thing I remember people saying and repeating a few times is that it smelled like something very uh, sweet, something sweet. Now, mind you, this has nothing to do with Bob Lazar at all. This has something this completely other cases that I've. Uh, worked on years ago. Uh, I was event. By the way, I, I once was the national director for MUFON for Canada. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, this going back. Yeah, dude, so I did not I know was, that. I was uh, the youngest member of MUFON in the world back in 1988. Yeah, so I, 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 I've been involved in this since 1987. Or your, just whole a, life. your whole yeah, life. Your whole life. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I, a few people saying it smelled like something very sweet. And I've heard that a few times, but you mean inside a inside a craft during inside an abduction the experience? Inside the craft, yeah, inside the craft, yeah, yeah. There was one person who was inside the craft who smelled it, and her and her husband smelled it afterwards when they were outside the craft, and they hmm. they smelled something very sweet. As she says, this woman said it smelled like they were cooking candy or something. You know, oh. yeah, yeah. So that I mean. For whatever that's worth, because we don't know, you know, what well, what is that? I and don't know. The the thing is too with his story, the fact that he mentioned that, you know, now David Grush is saying we got something like twelve to fifteen crafts, but at the time Bob saw up to nine, I think. Right. Um, all different shapes. And the thing is, we're probably dealing with multitudes of species. This is not just one species making right. different shaped crafts, like you know, different cars, different brands. Uh, these are different species and, you know, there's different shapes. Even when you talk to, um, you know, say Travis Walton, he says he saw the grays, but after that he saw humanoids. Right. right? So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. very interesting. Um, 
that, you know, this phenomenon, I mean, I'm always more, I'm fascinated by the technology, always have been, but the entities are what drives me in this field. They must be so, like, that's just, you know, that's just a, one part of their technology. Imagine what their home world is like. Imagine what their society's like. What technologies do they have that we couldn't I, even fathom? Yeah, I can, I, every time I think about, you know, all the people that I've met throughout my life, I've traveled to meet people who've had experiences and all that. Uh, it it really gets weird when you start talking to people who actually saw beings. Yeah. Uh, specifically, the kids that were in Africa. I I think that's one of the most important cases in 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 uh, in Huge modern case. times. Yeah. Because that was very credible case in Africa at Ariel School. Uh, they saw what we consider to be grays, if you want to call it, but they were not gray. They were not, the, their skin color was not gray. It, it was more white and off-white uh, than, than it was gray. Uh, even Travis Walton, when he saw them, they were not gray. They were kind of a lighter color. Uh, so yeah, it certainly does seem like there's not just one type of these beings. Mm-hmm. What What's really dangerous or scary is going down that path. It, as soon as you start getting into those conversations, it really stretches the limits of whoever we would like to have an open conversation about this topic. If we, if we talk about flying saucers and a technology or a machine or something like that, it, it, oh, something flying, something we caught on radar or on a, on a, on a FLIR pod or whatever. It's so acceptable. We we could accept that, you know. But as soon as it's a, it's at a distance, Luigi. It, it not right? only is it even well, even the craft of Bob. It's not even at a distance. It's right there. But it's just a machine. It's just it's just yeah. some product. But as soon as you start interacting with some uh, evolved being, and that evolved being doesn't look like us, it, it it's it's scary. It, it really is. It, it becomes very controversial. It makes it very difficult for a lot of people to engage in a conversation. It's It makes it difficult for the person who saw it to want to talk about it because they don't want to be treated as crazy, which is, by the way, the reason why I founded We Are Not Alone. The reason why We Are Not Alone exists is because of my 10-year experience with some of the kids that were at aerial school that ruined their lives just going out there and saying, we saw two creatures walk up to us and communicate to us telepathically and their lives got ruined. Everybody thought they were nuts. Everybody made fun of them. Some of them wanted to commit suicide. It was a terrible thing that happened, which we shouldn't as, as, as a society, we should be very cautious on how we judge these situations because we have no idea what the hell they saw. Uh, But it does stretch our ability to accept and and dive into the conversation. There's a difference between let's talk deep about a flying saucer versus what did the creature show you and what did it make you feel like? And, you know, (laughs) that's a whole different category right there. Yeah. And like I said, even with the momentum that we got, acknowledging that we have visitors in the first place, uh, that we have bodies of visitors. Let's just call them visitors because we don't know what they are telling them. It may be occupants. We don't know. Um, but just acknowledging that first and foremost, saying, look, we know that this is part of reality. 
And only is a part of reality, but it's a daily reality. Like it's not like these events happen every once in a while. It's daily across the world. That's People right. see something, record something. It could be in the most remote part of the world and you're still going to be there. Right. So we have to start talking about it more openly because really? it's kind of like, you know, we're all seeing the color pink, but nobody talks about it. Mm -hmm. Right. We all see it, but just pretend we don't talk about it, you know? Um, and the fact is, is that it's going to take a while for the public to accept. First and foremost, we got stuff and entities here, but then to accept the fact that, you know, the abduction phenomenon, which is very real part of this phenomenon, cattle mutilations, which are somehow tied into this. I mean, it's so vast and life consuming. And it is life-consuming because it, it affects every aspect of our lives. Uh, you know, for Mr. Glosson over here, it includes philosophy, right? It includes our science, our, our way of thinking, our civilization. It changes everything. But because it's kept secret or because we're, we're being told not to talk about it or we're not telling you anything about it, it's an insult. Uh, mm -hmm. Us three, we've been looking into this for a while. We deserve to know at least. A morsel, at least 15% more than I know now, God, at least 15% more before I die. Um, and I don't know if that's ever going to happen in our lifetime, you know, but honestly, I think being able to be open about this, this, this whole project is so cool because it's, it's a trilogy, but you'll get a full, a full understanding of what Bob Lazar has been trying to say. Right. Uh, yeah, and even when I uh, read Dreamland, I loved it because he puts things in order. Because usually people ask him things out of sequences, and it's hard for you to try to figure out how it all works. So uh, seeing what you guys did, uh, the labor, the love, um, the work, and the fact that it's a Canadian project, man, I'm so pumped. Uh, it, it, it's cool, and, and this is much needed. And because we've been, you know, the, the focus of the podcast is to study as in-depthly as we can this phenomenon. And you just gave us three freaking phenomenal things next year that we get to delve into and just, you know, Michael and the audience alike, just be able to binge. Uh, for those of us who are big Lazar fans, uh, please come back on the podcast. Sure, we would sure. love to have you back on. This is a fantastic project. I'm glad I got to meet you and that Thanks you agreed to come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, great talking with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah we loved it. Great. And Michael, do you have any final questions for our guest today? Well, you've been involved in MUFON for a long time, and you've been involved in this phenomenon, you know, researching it and, and having an active interest in it. My final question that I ask everybody is, what reading or viewing recommendations do you have for people who want to understand the phenomenon better? The, the things that you wish people would look at more, or pay more attention to that they haven't? It, I mean, it, it all depends on what part of the phenomenon you want to know more about. So if you want to know more about the uh, nuts and bolts part of it, uh, maybe you could read uh, Leslie Keen's book. Uh, uh, UFOs, Generals, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, Pilots. That's, and that's, that's more of a nuts and bolts book, something that is a good read. I think it's, it's worth looking at. Uh, there's a lot of books also from Richard Dolan that I recommend that are, are very, very good. Where would you start with Richard Dolan's work? Pardon? Where would you start? What's the the first Richard Dolan book you'd I, push into somebody's hands? I think I think After Disclosure is a good one because it gives you a little bit of a social impact uh, argument in there. So it gives you a little bit of understanding of what could happen to society, something like that. <coughs> uh, no, uh, you know, put out in the in the in the public. If 
if you're not in, if you don't want to talk about nuts and bolts and you want to go into a little bit more of the, I don't, I don't call it fringe. I call it more of like the deeper stuff that's related. Uh, then definitely I recommend any books from John Mack or Bud Hopkins as a definite read. Any single one of them would be uh, worth reading. Uh, there's, there's also one that I take seriously is from David Jacobs, The Threat. There's a hmm. book called The Threat from David Jacobs. I, it's that one there really pushes the envelope, but I have uh, respect for, for David's work. I know David very well. He actually trained me for a year and a half personally on, wow. uh, on the abduction phenomenon. So I spent a lot of time with David. Um, he's, Probably one of the last guys alive from the Bud Hopkins and John Mack era that really dove, dove deep into it. When I was at his house in his basement, he had all of Bud Hopkins' work there, all the tapes, all the files, everything. Um, those, though, that, though, when you start reading about all that, it, it takes you on a completely different path. So you have to be ready for a totally different perspective on the phenomenon and yeah, bud hopkins sort of veers into like uh not only whitley Struber, like ingo swan sort of yeah, right. territory too yeah. like this uh, telepathy yeah. and and psychic phenomenon thing. right and it we have to be you know there's and it's good to read a lot of different views on this uh there's a woman who passed away uh her name was carla turner uh k-r-k-a-r-l-a Car carla turner uh, she also uh, did a lot of research and work on abductions. Really interesting if, you, if you're interested in that. So you have nuts and bolts stuff, which is pretty easy to digest, actually. Uh, and then you have the deeper side of the darker side, if you want to call it, this, you know. Or esoteric or maybe right. even a cult side of things. What I, what I stay away from, where I, where, wherever I warn everybody to be just very cautious about is that uh, anything that has to do with like, when you hear about the secret space program or the Galactic Federation and all that, there's a lot of stuff there that is possible. I mean, there's a possibility out there. Would I support it? Not, not really right now. I'm, I'm very, 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 very um, skeptical of some of the things that are being put out there. Uh, it's kind of weird and scary from how many people get famous in talking about stuff like that, yet we have nothing to show for it. So it's kind of a has Gaia really helped us? Yeah. Has that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible because there's certainly certain things that do point in some of those directions. So I will be absolutely fair in saying that yeah, there's some stuff that makes sense. But we have to be very careful with, uh, with the people that, you know, say that they're part of a galactic federation and they're here on to send a message and stuff. And I, I, I kind of warn everybody to, you know, steer clear for for that yeah yeah agreed something smells kind of funny when we yeah start yeah. getting unless it's keanu reeves or ryan reynolds if they say it <laughs> oh, then it's true yeah, yeah, okay yeah. Right. all right i believe anything <laughs> keanu said <laughs> yeah exactly keanu keanu's our leader oh man uh luigi uh, uh tell us where we could find you on the internet i know you got oh, the website but uh, i'll let you I have did. 
Yeah, it's uh, Project Gravator with it. it Gravator is T A U R at the end, you know. So projectgravator.com, that's where you get all our products or all our project. Uh, you could go on our Instagram, Pro Project Gravator, follow us on our YouTube. It's under We Are Not Alone. It's wearenotalone.com is our uh, parent uh, of all this. So you could check out anything we do on those platforms. Stay tuned. There's more stuff coming specifically about Project Gravitor. We sent we, we released a teaser trailer recently with Bob driving a DeLorean, which was the coolest thing Stop we've ever that, yeah. by the way. Uh, that was cool. And there's a lot of great stuff coming. So keep an eye out because we have some of the best visuals you'll ever see coming out real soon. Well, don't forget your friends here at this podcast. You're welcome here any day, my man. And awesome. uh, we're strong supporters. Well, I, you know, of the of what you guys are doing. I think this is great and about time. And the wow. money's being spent. So that's that's what's great. It's not cheap. It's not it's okay. not a TikTok project by any means. So that's so freaking cool. And uh, yeah, if ever Lazar starts doing interviews, tell him we'd love to have him on. Sounds I'd love good. to meet the guy for sure. Uh, yeah, we thank you so much, Luigi. Uh, right, you're awesome. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, let's have you back on again. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Take care. See you, Luigi.